You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, welcome along to Attaboy Clarence, the 80th edition. What a milestone. Let's see what expert website myweddinganniversary.com says about the old 80th anniversary, shall we? Celebrating an 80th wedding anniversary has got to be the pinnacle of any marriage. Yes, you might as well top yourself the day afterwards. Symbolized by oak, this anniversary has the same strength and longevity, but rooted in true love. Like an oak tree strong of trunk with branches resembling the growing family and acorns continuing new growth. Presumably the squirrels represent credit card debt or something. Your gift could be that of oak furniture, a small table that will sit nicely next to a favorite chair for putting a cup of tea on and to make sure there's room for biscuits or homemade cake. You could put my beer on it, I suppose. An 80th wedding anniversary happens very rarely. Yeah, I would think it happens just the once, unless you're like a Highlander or something. And presents an opportunity to give an extremely special gift, a beer table. To achieve an 80th anniversary, both husband and wife will be near or over 100 years old, and the perfect gift could simply be your time. So be sure to clear your diary and spend the day with them. Yeah, I'm sure that's what every 100-year-old person wants as a gift. Every single goddamn member of their family, all 15 generations of them, putting stickers all over their belongings so they'll know who gets what. Finally, MyWeddingAnniversary.com states, Congratulations on an 80th wedding anniversary. Be sure to commemorate this truly wonderful occasion, and most importantly, enjoy this special day. Well, you heard them, folks. Come on in, come one, come all, into our 80th episode anniversary, built just for you and I and our new oak table. I have a special treat for you today, a specially recorded chat with the secret history of Hollywood's very own researcher, Miss Brooke Darnell, who's been digging up all kinds of Val Luton treasure. She'll be appearing later in today's show, plus reviews of two classic movies coming up, more Who the Hell is That Hollywood Legend, music, some old-time radio, you know the score, but first... And no shaving proposition beats this. Listen. Jesus. There's one buck cash, says Colgate Brushless wins you in a flash. Sorry, what does one buck cash do? One buck cash, says Colgate Brushless wins you in a flash. Again? There's one buck cash, says Colgate Brushless wins you in a flash. Yes, one buck cash says this is it for the clean, smooth, comfortable shaves you've always wanted. 
And here's why. Because it's light and fine textured, Colgate Brushless completely surrounds, softens, and supports each bristle better than greasy, heavy creams. I quite like rubbing greasy, heavy creams all over my face, though. There's no matting down. There is no clogging. Your razor doesn't skid or skip when you use Colgate Brushless. Instead, it cuts through clean and smooth. Try Colgate Brushless. See how it does away with razor scrape and soreness. Razor scrape and soreness is the name of the villain in The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, isn't it? Discover how slick and smooth and downright comfortable it makes your shave. Get a large or giant-sized tube or jar of Colgate Brushless Shaving Cream. If one week's use doesn't win you completely, just send me back the carton top and we'll mail you your dollar. Address, Bill Stern, Kara Colgate, Jersey City, Zone 2, New Jersey. Remember, there's one buck cash says Colgate Brushless wins you in a flash. That is a deal. Real fine. Damn straight. Well, how about a song to kick us off then? This is George Formby with Happy Go Lucky Me. I can laugh when things ain't funny. <laughs> Happy Go Lucky Me. Yes, I can smile when I ain't got no money. <laughs> Happy Go Lucky Me. It may sound silly, but I don't care. I've got the moonlight, I've got the sun, I've got the stars above. Me and my sweetie, well, we both share. Slappy go happy, happy go lucky love. Well, life is sweet, yeah, sweet as honey. <laughs> happy go lucky me. Casey Pirto. I do hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, Casey. Casey writes, Hi, Adam, I love your podcast, The Secret History of Hollywood. Whenever someone asks for a podcast recommendation, it is always my number one response. Thank you. I started with your history of Alfred Hitchcock, and I laughed, I cried, and it was just the best audio I've ever heard in my life. Thank you, Casey. Your most recent episode of Shadows was quite dark. I was very shocked to hear your footnote at the end of the Peter Curtin story to hear that his head was in Wisconsin Dells. I live in Madison, Wisconsin, a short one-hour drive away. I convinced my husband to take a little trip with me, and we had a wonderful weekend doing a ghost boat tour up the Wisconsin River, and then a stop at Ripley's Believe It or Not to find this head. 
It was very fascinating and spins in its case. He had lots of face hair. See attached photo. Ooh. I truly think that you are the best storyteller. Thank you for it. Thank you for all your work. It inspires me to watch and love classic movies even more than I had before. I can't wait for the next episode. Casey Pirto. Thank you, Casey. And Casey included with her email a very grisly picture of Peter Curtin's head hanging from its chain in the museum. I mean, it's truly, truly horrifying. Thank you, Casey. I really don't feel like eating my lunch now. But have a Canterbury anyway. Canterbury. I also got one from Simone Higgins, who hosts the classic Hollywood MTC podcast, and she says, Dear Adam, not sure if you're aware, but the fabulous cinema museum in Elephant and Castle is under threat. Run by a number of enthusiastic volunteers, it houses lots of great old cinema memorabilia and interesting film history events, including interesting film courses. It also has some great Q&A sessions with established stars, but it's most significant for having been the workhouse which Charlie Chaplin and his mum ended up in when they reached rock bottom. It'd be a real shame if it ended up in the hands of developers. London has enough office blocks and yuppie flats. Basically, they need signatures for a Save the Cinema Museum petition. And Simone has asked me if I will plug that. Well, of course I can plug the petition. And if you guys feel like clicking on over and doing your bits to save a valuable landmark, then I'll include the link in the show notes of this episode so that you can help too. Thank you, Simone. Canterbury. Canterbury. I had another message from the Queen of Yoga, Miss Johanna Lilia. Again, <laughs> Johanna, I do hope I'm pronouncing your name correctly. If not, then feel free to tear me apart via email. Anyway, Johanna writes, Hey Adam, will there be a Christmas episode this year? Yes, Johanna, why the hell not? Let's do a Christmas at Boy Clarence this year. I took a year off from doing it last year, but I'm feeling festive. So bring it on. You folks listening are hereby requested to send in your Christmas greetings once more. Very simple. Just record a simple Christmas greeting on your phones or laptops or whatever and send the audio file to me at adam at attaboyclarence.com and I'll be playing them all on this year's Christmas special. Do it as soon as you can. And yes, if you are a podcast host, plug your show while you're at it. And Johanna, this is all you're doing, so I'm expecting yours to be the first one I receive. Anyone who sends one in, by the way, will get a Canterbury on this show, as Johanna will right now. Canterbury. Quickly, I just have one more thing to plug. The marvellous JC and Cindy of the Fix-It Home Improvement podcast have just published their new book, which is available on the Kindle store. They very kindly gave over an entire page of the book to promoting my show. So thank you, guys, and to all of you who are in the market for some dazzling DIY tips and some very wise help on how to improve your home then go on over to the Kindle store and search for Home Improvement Solutions, what every homeowner should know. And thank you again. Well, let's dart on over to the What's My Line studio, shall we? This one features a very special guest on the panel itself, Mr. Orson Wells, who popped into the studio to play the game with the show's regulars. Let's see how he does as we play another round of Who the Hell is That Hollywood Legend? All right, as you know, panel, in the case of our mystery challenger, we go to a different form of questioning. You ask one question at a time in turn, moving clockwise, and we begin with Mr. Austin Wells. Uh, 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 sir. Is that your question? No, no, it's my preamble. <laughs> By the fact that there was no reaction after I said, sir. <laughs> sir? Are you in New York for a special purpose? Well, yes, I uh, 
Are you more serious I am here for his special purpose? Miss Bradford? You said sir? Uh, are you on the theatrical scene? Occasionally, uh, yes. Occasionally, on the theatrical scene. Mr. Sir? Were you born in some other countries but than the United States? You are perfectly right. Miss Kilgallen? Oh, I didn't hear the answer. Yes. You didn't hear the answer or the dialect? But it was yes. Oh, it was, was yes. He, he was born in another country. Yeah. He was born in this country? Now, the question posed was, were you born other than in the United States? And the answer was in the affirmative. Could we have a conference, please? Yes, you can Five have fifth, seconds. 15 seconds. Does that mean to the rest of you that he was born someplace other than the United mm -hmm. States? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um... Were, are you uh, a British subject? No, I am. Uh, I am not a British subject. That makes it one down and nine to go, Mr. Wells. <laughs> are you identified primarily with the theater? Uh, no, I... So that's for you and your operation. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, is the other field that our guest is well known in, the motion picture field? Well... Yes, I, I think I... Uh, I think our guest yes is getting more warm. Mr. What? Sir? I didn't hear that last series of uh, mumbles that came. <laughs> they all added up to yes. Oh. Uh, you, do you come from some country in Europe? Originally, yes. Miss Kilgallen? Was that country something other than a Scandinavian country? I have... Uh, I have some connections with the Scandinavian parts of Europe, but uh, to be specific, it is a country other than the Scandinavian country. Thank you. Mr. Well. It's a country of the Scandinavian. Other than. Other, other than. I'm so sorry that I'm here blindfolded. I'd be happy to say. Sir. Oh, man. <laughs> Are you a contralto? Well, this is uh, Sir, in the view man. of the form of the dress that you employed. That is a very insulting form of the question. <laughs> Not so many. If you say so, you must say basso or uh, baritone. Hmm? If you mean now, is that a judgment or a, a permanent? <laughs> that you are, uh, this is not a question, but just as a follow-up to Mr. Wells, you are not all boy. Miss <laughs> <laughs> Francis, it depends entirely what language you are speaking. I'm not having as much trouble as you are. <laughs> <laughs> well, there is, actually, we can have some fun with this later, but I think for the purposes of fact, Miss Francis' question is answered no, and this reveals that our guest is not right. male. Right. All right, okay. Mr. Sir, it's two down and eight to go, and you've got a minute. Are you appearing, do you appear in a motion picture that is going to open in New York very soon? Uh, no, Mr. Sir, that is not so. That's three down and seven to go, Miss Kilgallen. Have you ever made any records? A broken few. <laughs> and this was something that very rarely happens. Our guest has got you so beautifully befuddled, we've run out of time. And you may now take your masks off and meet... Okay, so let's cut away their hard one this time.
the panel didn't get it, but did you? Find out later. Well, a very special treat for you all today. I was very lucky to be able to snag the arm of the official researcher for the secret history of Hollywood, Miss Brooke Darnell, who's been busy researching like crazy for the current Shadows series and who very kindly took some time out to speak to me earlier this week. Okay, this is how fancy the podcasts have become. I now have some help. One question I get asked all the time is, why on earth is my nose so long? Another question I get asked all the time is, who does your research? And until very recently, I told everyone that I did it myself. That has all changed now, because a very special someone has decided to help me with that side of things. Ladies and gentlemen, it gives me no end of pleasure to introduce you to the delightful Miss Brooke Darnell. I'm saying that right. Am I saying that right? Darnell. Without doubt, the coolest researcher in the history of history. Brooke, hello. Hello. (laughs) So you are officially the researcher for the Secret History of Hollywood podcast. You are on the credits and everything. Just under Mark Gatiss. It's very impressive. I know, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You're just under Mark Gatiss, who's just under me. I get to go on top. Uh, Of course. I told him him that. (laughs) He doesn't mind that. So, Brooke, you work at the Library of Congress. I do. In Washington. I do, in Washington, D.C. Now, I imagine the Library of Congress to look like an actual library, like the one at the beginning of Ghostbusters, but without the ghosts. Am I right? Well, if you've seen National Treasure, they're actually inside the Library of Congress. It's filmed inside. Okay. So do they have the same computers that they had in there? Is it like a like old three-inch floppy disk drives and a computer with like a black screen with green writing on it, like Joshua and War Games or something? Or is it like all up to date? It's all up to date. It's a regular computer. <laughs> cool. <laughs> So do you have, like, the Declaration of Independence thing? Um, I think that's at the National Archives. Okay. But it might have been displayed at the Library of Congress at one point. So what's, like, the craziest thing you have in the Library of Congress? The Gutenberg Bible. No way. Yeah. Or or one of them. I think there are three. But they're only allowed to um, be out for a certain number of days a year because they can only be exposed to light and air so often because they deteriorate. They also have the first map that had the United States on it. Wow. Or what would be the United States. And they have Val Luton's letters, obviously. They do. Are they like paper or have they all been digitized and stuff now? The Val Luton ones um, were on microfilm. You can request to see the originals and based on um, your research, the librarian will determine whether or not you can have hands-on access to them but they've also got like all his um like movie posters and clippings they have his um scrapbook did you send me some kind of like snapshots of those and things scans and things yeah some of the things out of it amazing he he kept so many articles and things didn't he all about himself it's kind of vain but you know (laughs) i I would do that thing sort of thing too but But i also think he had like um stuff he was researching Mm. so it was like articles on things he was interested in or or um Articles on books or movies that... Or projects he was, like, looking into adapting. Yeah. 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 But the Nazimova stuff was all original. Yeah. And somebody had gone through and uh, typed it up or else we wouldn't have been able to read it. (laughs) Amazing. The amount of stuff you sent, you, you, you were... I remember you were tweeting me at the time and saying, I've just found a sonnet that he wrote for his wife. (laughs) Did you know he wrote a play for his wife and things like that? And there's so much beauty in the stuff he wrote he, he wrote love letters of such beauty and intelligence i mean i'll be featuring some of them in the shadow series a little bit later and i think people are going to be quite surprised when they hear how he wrote to his wife i mean they sound like novels at points when you think right and i had thought that he would be very confident in his work mm-hmm. but he's very self-doubting and he's always talking about how he hasn't done enough mm-hmm. or he's he's not done anything in two months and yeah 
and then he lays out these meticulous plans. Okay, I'm going to write 30 pages for 10 days, and that'll make this much money, and I'm going to do this many books this year, this many articles. Mm. So he was really planning to do a lot. Yeah, always writing. I mean, some of these letters are like 20 pages long. Right. And he would write to her like three times a day. Well, I think some of them were before they were married. Yeah. Like his love letters and then just like him asking her if uh, she loved him. And she know- he knows that she does, but he wants to hear her say it. Yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> it's, I, I remember reading one a little while ago. Um, yeah, I, I won't get too flowery about it or anything. But he just writes from the heart and... You can see why she fell in love with him. I really love it. Even when he took that train ride and he describes all the towns he goes through and what he sees. Normally, if somebody's keeping a diary, it's probably not written that well or that interesting. But even like him writing about his day-to-day life was really beautifully written. Um, And the Alan Azimova stuff as well, which you got. um, Private papers, all kinds of things. Like I say, as I said before, you were tweeting me as you were sending them over. And I remember getting quite excited (laughs) And then thinking, oh, it's going to be like 10 or 11 things coming over. And then just these hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of <laughs> scans that you're sending through. Yeah. It's um, it's so amazing. And I can't thank you enough, by the way. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. I'm glad to help. <laughs> yeah, her stuff was really interesting. Like, I wouldn't have thought she really, really loved her sister. Mm. And it comes through. She, like, meticulously planned how... Um, like the bedroom was going to look and, and made sure that her sister had enough money to live on and, and picking out all these different um, hairpins and hats really? that she thinks that she would like. So I'm, I'm ashamed to say I haven't, I haven't dug into the analysis uh, of the stuff at the moment because I'm, I've been hell-bent on getting uh, part five of Shadows written. And also um, I've been working on another project in the background. So for the rest of the Shadow series, I'm going to be going back to focus a bit more on I'm looking forward to, to digging into that. So she was very into her sister then. Yes. Because um, I heard, I don't know if you've seen any of it in her letters yet, that she and her niece didn't get on. Is, have you seen anything about that? Yeah, towards the end. Yeah. I guess her niece had written her a letter that upset her in some way, and then it just kind of broke their friendship. Oh, right. Okay. Like, I read that letter, and I didn't really understand what... Because I, I guess I didn't read the stuff leading up to it or after it, but I read that letter, and I didn't really understand what she got so upset about. So perhaps they had, like, a private falling out or something, and the letter just refers to it, or does that does it actually... Maybe. I'll see what I can find as well. I don't, I don't expect... I'll be able to turn out much more than you have, though. <laughs> but I think Val and Nazimova lived together at some point later in his life. Later in his life? Okay. Yeah. See, everyone thinks that uh, this series is completely written at the moment. I've literally written up until the point that, that um, I'm at. You know, the end of the Tom Conway story, and uh, he's just gotten, they creep by night, and he's not happy. I haven't written anything past that. So I'm looking forward to finding all that stuff out, too. And whereas I've got biographies, and uh, I mean, I have a I have a basic storyline, but the stuff you've sent is, is absolutely the kind of color that, that makes the secret history of Hollywood a little bit different because it sort of strays off into these little uh, side paths and there's so much in what you've sent over it's incredible it's so detailed it's like the life behind the story instead of you know the other way around yeah it gives you a different perspective of what his life was like yeah amazing and it brings out his personality more than um right like he loved his boat yeah there's just pages and pages and pages on like his boat and right taking his boat out and then you know he he 
broke the floorboards or something. He had to replace them. And then there's um, he, there's like a page where he's tallying up all the supplies he's going to need and how much it costs. And That's right. You send that over on Twitter, didn't you? Yeah. I didn't know what it was. And you were like, but they're boat supplies. <laughs> like varnish and things. And <laughs> yeah, nails yeah. And like, yeah, yeah. So when he went to Chicago um, and he was looking at the lake and he couldn't believe there was only one ship out there um, and how it would be perfect waters to take. I think it was called, I think his boat's called the Nina. Yeah. Yeah. As I say, you've added so much color to the future of this series. So it's going to be much better now that I have you on board. I'm glad to help. (laughs) Thank you. I'm so glad you're helping me, to be honest. (laughs) You're welcome. Well, I know you spent two of your very own Saturdays scanning and emailing documents. And for that, you get a great big Canterbury. Canterbury. Um, where can people find you on Twitter, Brooke? It's SB Darnell. Would you like to pop up on this show um, every sort of month? Sure. Just with a just with a fact or something you found out? Yeah. And now that I know what it's going to be like, I can kind of plan out and find something. Yeah. I mean, you don't even have to talk to me if you don't want. You can just record it at home and email me the MP3 or something. Oh, no. Oh, no. No? <laughs> you sure? <laughs> no, that makes me more nervous. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Well, I'll sit here and talk to you. Cool. <laughs> um, what do you think of Brooks Inside Looks? What, whatever you think is fine. I'll give you your own theme tune and everything. I'm very excited about the theme tune. <laughs> sure, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll sing it for you too. <laughs> Unless you want to sing it. Oh, no. <laughs> no, what kind of loser would want to do that? <laughs> <laughs> Somebody with a better voice than mine can sing it. <laughs> well, that isn't me. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, Brooke, thanks again. And for anyone who's interested in these shows or just being friends with someone as cool as Brooke Darnell, then go on over to SB Darnell on Twitter and follow her there. Thank you, Brooke. Yes, thank you so much, Brooke. Brooke is the person responsible for all the flashes of personal colour in the Val Luton series. Seriously, she's done some incredible work, so do follow her on Twitter. She is very, very cool. And graciously, she has agreed to pop up every month or so and give us an insight into something wonderful that she's found. So keep your eyes peeled for Brooke's Inside Looks coming very soon. Okay, music then. Do I really need to introduce this one? When I was just a little girl I asked my mother, what will I be? Will I be pretty? Will I be rich? Here's what she said to me. Que sera, sera. Whatever will be, will be. The future's not ours to see. Que sera, sera. What will be, will be. When I grew up, fell in love I asked my sweetheart what lies ahead will we have rainbows day after day here's what my sweetheart said que sera sera whatever will be will be the future's not ours to see que sera sera What will be, will be Now I have children of my own They ask their mother, what will I be? Will I be handsome? Will I be rich? I tell them tenderly Que sera, 
Day there with Kesara Sarah, beautiful. Lots of people think that that was a standard before it appeared in Alfred Hitchcock's The Man Who Knew Too Much in 1956. Nope, it was written specifically for that film and went on to win the Oscar for Best Original Song. Deservedly so. Classic. Well, for reasons that will become tremendously apparent in the very near future, I have been on a bit of an Audrey Hepburn kick lately. But not so much the classic Audrey Hepburn appearances, such as Breakfast at Tiffany's or Roman Holiday. No, I've been travelling all the way back to the very early Audrey appearances, the ones she made very fleetingly in her early career. And wouldn't you just know it? I thought you might want to know how some of them shape up. So Audrey actually made her official film debut in a Dutch movie called Dutch in Seven Lessons, which isn't actually an educational film in any way. It's more like a gentle sex comedy about a photographer who goes around Holland picking girls up. Audrey appears for under one minute in this film, and it's hardly worth mentioning at all. Her actual speaking debut in movies came in 1951, though, when she appeared in British comedy One Wild Oat, starring Stanley Holloway, Robertson Hare, and Irene Handel. I couldn't bear the suspense any longer. I popped outside to look up and down the street. Oh, where can Cherry be, Caroline? What can she be doing? I thought I could trust her with Gregory. You mightn't know that boy as well as you think. He's my own clerk. He's worked in my office for over three years. In the whole of my experience as a solicitor, I've never met anybody with such integrity. It worries me sometimes. This is the Romeo and Juliet-style story of two warring families, the Proudfoots, headed by the pompous Humphrey Proudfoot, a barrister, and played by Robertson Hare, and the Gilbys, led by notorious philanderer Alfred Gilby, played by Stanley Holloway. Would you like a cup of tea, Mr. Gilby? I'd hate it. Well, a, a cup of cocoa. Don't be disgusting. Oh, I just thought it might make you feel more at home. At home, here, in the smallest flat in the building. No, you're being insulting. Oh, I'm awfully sorry. I didn't mean to be... Won't you sit down, just for a moment? Why just for a moment? Am I not welcome here? Oh, for goodness sake. The children of these two proud fathers want to be married, but Proudfoot will not give his permission due to the Gilby family's bad name. In order to persuade him to change his mind, Alfred resorts to digging up a few skeletons from Proudfoot's past in order to blackmail him. So Audrey pops up at exactly 32 minutes in when she appears as a hotel receptionist and former conquest of Stanley Holloway's character in a very brief little scene. Kimberly, good morning. Who? Mr. Gilby. Oh, hello, Alfred. Listen, honey, I want you to do something for me. If my wife turns up today, tell her Gloria was a greyhound. Greyhound? Oh, really, Alfred? But what about the registration book? Oh, dear, dear. Look, I'll tell you what, just put bitch in brackets. What? And that is her entire appearance, looking as radiant as ever, she flies in and out of the film. Is she the best thing in it? Yes, she is. This is an absolutely miserable little farce featuring a very poor script and a bunch of performers who look like they're reading it all from cards. It's one of those films that gets more woeful as it goes on. I have to admit, it took me three attempts to get through it because it was so very dull. 
But make it through I did, by the skin of my teeth, and I'm therefore very concerned that some of you may want to see it at some point, so let me please dissuade you in any way that I can. Not one single joke is funny. Not one single situation is funny. Not one single anything in this film is worth bothering with except for Audrey. She is a very bright spot in very dull surroundings. Avoid it like the plague. Things definitely improved for her though when she appeared in Secret People from 1952, directed by one of Britain's most underrated directors, Thorold Dickinson. This is the tale of two sisters, Nora and Maria Brentano, played by Audrey Hepburn and Valentina Cortesi, who are refugees from their home country, which has been overthrown by a dictator. They settle in London, where they're contacted by Maria's boyfriend, Louis, who is now a member of a secret group who are trying to assassinate the very dictator that forced them from their home and killed their father. Wait, Maria, I have something to tell you. Yes, but what is this, a cigarette case? Oh, it's very heavy. It's light for the job. The job? Maria, Garvin will be there tonight. Garvin to the party? Is it a bomb? Yes, it is. Maria, we're counting on you. No one will suspect you of carrying it in. That's all you ask her to do. You'll give it to one of our men. He'll use the password. Curious tracery. Are you listening? Louis has come up with a plan to assassinate the dictator by using Nora's ballet skills to get them all invited to a reception that the dictator is attending. And so follows the careful preparations of this band of secret assassins as the fateful day looms near. I won't say anything else because it's much better if you don't know what's going to happen. Audrey's part in this film is much larger. She plays Nora, the ballet dancer's sister, and her real-life ballet skills are put to incredible use. Mr. Burnett's rung up. He thinks he's got a job for me, a cabaret turner, some terrific party. Really? I'm to do an audition for Mrs. Reginald Killick. It's all been got up in a terrific hurry, and they're having two singers from Covent Garden and Corelli the Clown and me. She trained for much of her young life to become a prima ballerina, but it was cut tragically short by, well, circumstances, shall we say. This isn't the film that launched her career. That was most definitely Roman Holiday, but without her appearance here, there would have been no Roman Holiday. You see, this wasn't the film that made the world sit up and take note, but it was the film that made filmmakers sit up and take note. So for that reason, it is a very important milestone in the career of Audrey Hepburn. As for the film itself, it's not as disciplined as some of the other Thorold Dickinson movies, such as The Queen of Spades or The Arsenal Stadium Mystery, but it is delightfully British. It's very, very tense in parts, and it's made with a definite panache by a man who is largely ignored these days, but who definitely deserves re-evaluation. If you are a fan of British working-class thrillers from this era, then this is definitely a good one. And if you're a fan of Audrey Hepburn herself, and you haven't seen this little curio from 1952, then it's definitely worth seeking out. Well, you know what? I'm going to break with tradition today. Usually at this point, I go off and I find a relevant piece of old-time radio and I play it for you. But today is different. You see, it's not always about quantity. Sometimes it's quality, which I've been told far too often. And I have found a delightful piece of audio from the Gary Cooper Friars Club roast, in which Audrey Hepburn 
got up and told the room exactly what she thought of him, her co-star in Love in the Afternoon. It's only a few minutes long, but this is your radio entertainment for today. So, take it away, Audrey. I know of no higher compliment than presenting to you, ladies and gentlemen, Miss Audrey Hepburn. Dear friars and friarettes, I don't mind saying that when I was asked to speak on our subject tonight, I went directly to my encyclopedia to learn exactly what a Gary Cooper is. I don't think I can do better than to present to you the result of my intense research. What is a Gary Cooper? Physically, it is a male over six feet in length lanky and bright-eyed. It is the tallest, finest, thinnest, kindest, most patient, sportiest, quietest, talkiest. It's shootingest, ridingest, handsomest, unsnidiest. It's powerful, strong, stoic, and never wrong. It's decent, dutiful, daring, and beautiful is cheerful, charming, charitable, and disarming. Bewitching, unaffected, enriching, and unexpected. Likes, horses, dogs, firelight, and logs. Is even-tempered and friendly unless provoked, but stylish and witty when often joked. Mates with Rockies so fine they produce Maria's that shine. Habitat is California, but can also be found in New York and Paris, Rome and around. Or under the sea with offspring and mate, diving and swimming at a tremendous rate. And out on the plains at very high noon, shooting it out to a merry tune. A Gary Cooper is rare. There is only one and there will never be another under the sun. Beautiful, isn't it? It's it's made all the more poignant as well by the fact that Gary Cooper himself died just four months afterwards. So actually, it's a rather beautiful little tribute to them both. Anyway, off we go to find out who the hell that Hollywood legend was. That's three down and seven to go, Miss Kilgallen. Have you ever made any records? A broken fuse. (laughs) And this was something that very rarely happens. Our guest has got you so beautifully befuddled, we've run out of time. And you may now take your masks off and meet Miss Greer Garson. (laughs) Correct, it was Greer Garson. Very difficult one today. Hope you got it. Right, I should tell you that the reason things have been so quiet over here in Attaboy Towers is because I've been absolutely slaving away on a huge piece of bonus content for patrons of this show. I cannot tell you what it is, but may I just say that if you are not yet a patron, then you may want to go on over and sign up because this is the best bonus anything I have ever made, and it is for patrons only. If you want to sign up, it starts from as little as one dollar a month that's nothing and i promise you that bonus i'm about to release is well worth the money to sign up listen on to the end of this show and thank you 
Well, that is it from me for this edition. I shall see you all again very soon. Don't forget to send in your Christmas greetings. I'll be back in a few weeks with more classic movie goodness, but until then, take very good care of yourselves. And bye for now. Are you going to buy everybody that comes to your meetup an ice cream? Do you know what? I, I actually am. Yeah. Yeah, I really am. Do they, do they have <laughs> next enough? Week. Uh, I hope so. Well, I hope not, actually. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, dear. You actually buy half the ice cream. But yeah. If you'd like to support this show, you can do so by going to www.attaboyclarence.com and clicking on the Patreon banner. Pledges start from as little as $1 a month, and in return you'll receive exclusive emails, bonus episodes, previews, and e-books. And every dollar pledged goes towards making these shows better and more frequent. Go to www.attaboyclarence.com or click the link in the show notes now to become a patron. Thank you. Spend less time staying in the know about all things gaming and more time actually watching and playing what you want with the IGN Daily Update Podcast. All you need is a few minutes to hear the latest from IGN on the world of video games, movies, and television with news, previews, and reviews. So listen and subscribe to the IGN Daily Update wherever you get your podcasts. That's the IGN Daily Update wherever you get your podcasts.